Join us and Neighborhood Cats for all you need to know about Trap New to Return, TNR, and Colony Management. You'll learn the basics and walk away with the tools you need to be successful in helping outdoor cats. Workshops are typically held the first Saturday of the month. Registrants will have the opportunity to earn a certificate. For more information and to register today, go to communitycatspodcast.com. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. So hi, everybody, Stacy here. And this week's show is going to be an audio recording of our most recent webinar we did in partnership with Neighborhood Cats called Colony Caretaking Tips and Tricks. The information in these free webinars is really fantastic. And I encourage you to check it out. If you want to see the video, feel free to go to communitycatspodcast.com slash community dash cat dash care dash training dash education. So it's Community Cat Care Training Education tab on our website. Go check that out. Feel free to find out more about Neighborhood Cats at neighborhoodcats.org. They are a fantastic organization and they put on some incredible educational programs in partnership here with the Community Cats podcast. So this is going to be part one of a two-part series that we are putting out. Don't forget to stay feral and check out our t-shirts online at the Community Cats podcast shop. Everybody enjoy the show. Remember, this is part one. So don't forget to tune in next week for our podcast for part two of Colony Caretaking Tips and Tricks. Okay. Thank you so much, Stacey. And thanks everybody for taking time out today to learn more about how to help these cats. So let's uh, jump right into it. And the first thing I think I want to focus on is what forms the, the bond between colony caretakers and their cats and that's food. You know, that that is really the basis of the relationship. And you guys who are out there now taking care of community cats uh, know how much they depend on you and how they kind of build their day around your arrival time. And they will bond with you. It starts off as you're their feeder, and then they'll develop a special relationship with you that they won't have with anyone else. You know, a lot of them can become quite friendly and affectionate towards you probably not towards too many other people. So that's where I want to start today is talking about food, talking about feeding. So those of you who took the certification workshop, you'll have heard this before, but for those who haven't, and also it bears uh, repeating that one of the best practices to get into as a caretaker is to develop a feeding pattern. And that's taking advantage of the fact that cats are extremely habitual creatures. So those of you who have pet cats, which I'm going to bet is uh, the majority, you know that uh, breakfast is going to be served at the same time every day, whether you want to or not. And they will go to any length to get you up and uh, get the can open. And that's because they're just hardwired to get fed at that time. So outdoor cats are no different. And if you feed them at the same time, uh, same place on a daily basis, they'll start to show up before you do. And they'll be there every day at that time. If you can't 
do it exactly at the same time every day, then just do it as close as you can. So always feed in the morning or always feed after dusk or whatever it might be. Try to narrow that window as much as you can. Uh, try to develop a sound that they associate with feeding. Sometimes they figure that out themselves. Like a lot of people will have probably observed that the cats know the sound of your car's engine so that as soon as you pull up, they're starting to come out. But you can also shake your keys or use a clicker or whistle or whatever it might be. What you want to avoid is leaving food out all the time. The feeding pattern is going to help you with monitoring the colony. So every time you go to feed, you're going to have a snapshot of what's going on. Are there any newcomers? Is, 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 did anybody get hurt? Is there some type of intervention that's needed? You'll be able to tell really easily because you're going to be seeing all the cats every day. If you're trapping, it's essential. This is what we went over in the certification workshop that knowing where the cats are going to be and when they're going to be there makes it possible to trap them. Otherwise, you're, you're guessing and it's hit or miss. So don't leave food out 24-7. It will uh, make it impossible to monitor them and, and very difficult to trap if you need to. And then there are other reasons that have to do with uh, wildlife. If you're in an area where there is wildlife, and that could be the middle of Manhattan these days, um, there's pretty much wildlife everywhere. So if you don't want to attract them, and you should try to avoid that, number one, for the safety of the wildlife, especially raccoons. Uh, you know, health officials get very skittish when raccoons get too close to people, and it's not good. You know, you don't want them competing with the cats. So how you avoid them has a lot to do with what kind of wildlife we're talking about. So raccoons are mostly nocturnal, and if you feed the cats in the daylight, you'll be able to avoid attracting them. So we don't want raccoons around the cat food. So with raccoons, try to feed closer to daylight or maybe at dawn or dusk, but not at a time. Actually, they're pretty active at dusk, so maybe dawn and during the day. If we're talking about birds, that, that's different. They're diurnal and they go to sleep at night for the most part. And again, you can train the cats. When you think about how long it takes, if you're not, um, hopefully you're not leaving dry food out all day for your pet cats, that's not healthy for them. Cats are feast and famine animals. So when they smell food, their digestive system gets started. And if they're always smelling food, their digestive system is always going. And you can end up with five-year-old cats with kidney disease. So you should just feed two, three, once, whatever it is, times a day. And if you do that, you'll notice that the cats pretty much eat everything within a few minutes. With the outdoor cats, you really don't need a long window of time to train them to come in. And then just don't leave any uneaten food behind, and you won't be having wildlife come to that location. Now, there was a question I know that was sent in before about somebody who's dealing with raccoons, and they've tried everything. Um, bet you haven't tried this. This is a kind of feeder that, let's say you have to feed at night, right? Or let's say the raccoons have figured it out, and they are coming during the day. You can build this kind of a feeder that will prevent raccoons or any kind of animal that climbs, like a, a possum or skunks, you know, the ones with the claws that can go up. You can get the plans by clicking on that link, Forgotten Felines of Foresight. The basic idea is that raccoons can climb, but they can't jump. So if you create a platform which has a long pole and then a wide platform, and you put something around the platform, like metal sheeting, the raccoons can't grip onto then they can't climb up to it. You know, if you have elderly cats who have difficulty jumping, then that's going to be an issue and you may have to feed them uh, separately. 
Now, one mistake I've seen made, and it's a very funny one in videos, was somebody built one of these, and then they put the jump-off station too high, and the raccoons, they can jump uh, horizontally. <laughs> so they were jumping from the jump-off station onto the platform. So make sure your jump-off station is lower, and that in order for an animal to get onto the platform, they would have to jump up. So birds, like I said, they're active during the day. So if birds are the problem, like pigeons, or here in Maui, we have, uh, we have feral chickens, and they're, they're kind of all over the place, and they're not the least bit afraid of the cats. And it's just the opposite. The cats run away from, from the roosters, and they're quite aggressive about you know, eating all the cat food very quickly. So what do you do there? Well, here, people will feed at night after dusk in order to avoid the chickens. That's the easiest way. If you have to feed during the daytime, try a feeding station. This is a storage bin, I think about a 20, 18-gallon plastic outdoor storage bin, and a door has been cut into the long side. We'll talk about feeding stations later, but you need two doors, one on each hand, so that a cat can't go in there and keep all the other cats out. But you use a box cutter to slice open a doorway and then cover the doorway with these plastic strips. Sometimes you see those at grocery stores in the wintertime, so people can come in and out, but the plastic traps the heat inside the store. Well, birds are going to be very reluctant to pass through that plastic, uh, but cats will not be. So that's one way to keep the birds away from the food. Uh, another thing is just feed the birds something that the cats don't like. We do this when we're trapping in the daytime here, and there's chickens all over the place. We'll put a big pile of cracked corn on the side and they the chickens love that so they go eat that and they stay uh, away from the bait in the traps okay so that's about when to feed let's talk about what to feed and basic understanding of nutrition is important we like to say that our formula for what kind of food should you get is the highest quality that you as a caretaker can comfortably afford and that takes two things into account the fact that nutrition is important the higher quality you can feed, the better for the cats, but your budget's very important too. So what is the best quality you can comfortably afford is going to have a lot to do with what are your means, how many cats are you feeding, things like that. So you know, if you're the 24% who's feeding over 20 cats, well, your calculation about what's the most nutritious you can afford is going to be a lot different than somebody who's feeding you know, three cats in their backyard. So no judgment on what foods you actually land on, just try to keep in mind that within your budget, you want to get the best you can. So how do you tell what the best is? And it's not definitive, but a good starting point is the ingredients label. And if you'll notice, you know, it lists the ingredients, but it's not random. It's whatever ingredient has the highest volume is going to be listed first. So in this particular cat food, beef is the largest ingredient most quantity, and then beef broth, and then chicken liver, and then kidney. So it's a good food. Now, a lower quality food is going to have like uh, corn, or it's going to say things like uh, byproducts, which are kind of meat related, but not the uh, healthiest cuts of whatever the um, animal is. So look for a food that has whole meat, because of course, cats are obligate carnivores, so they have to eat meat. So the more that's in there, the better. Things with lots of corn and byproducts and uh, meal are generally not as nutritious. It is the case that the better quality foods are usually the pricier ones. There is that relationship. We'll talk about some waste products that, that combine 
good cost and good nutrition. But especially if you're talking about canned food, that the more higher quality the ingredients, the higher the price. Now, if you want to learn more about nutrition, and that's just a very basic primer where to get started, there's a lot of great resources. We highly recommend the book, The Natural Cat by Anitra Frazier. She's an advocate of a raw food diet, and she talks about why, but she, it's just a wealth of information about nutrition and everything else cat. Then there's a few websites that are also really rich in information about what's in cat food and how to tell the better ones from the lower quality ones. So one of the basic debates that you'll find out there when it comes to cat food is, you know, should you be feeding wet versus dry or really, you know, which one is more nutritious? And you'll get opinions all over the map, even from veterinarians. But I like to break it down into a very simple graphic. If you were going out for dinner and you're not vegan or vegetarian and you ordered a steak, would you rather eat the wet meat on the left of your screen or the dried out, burnt out dry meat (laughs) that's on the right? And obviously, you would prefer the wet. It's more nutritious. The reason for that is because not everything's not baked to a crisp, right? When the baking process occurs with dry food, it naturally destroys a lot of the nutrients in the meat itself. Now, your higher quality dry foods are going to add, because they know that the baking process destroys a lot of the nutrition, they add vitamins and supplements and minerals after the baking process. But that's a costlier procedure. So the cheaper dry foods don't do that. They put everything in, they bake it to a crisp, and they don't add anything afterwards. So in general, the more wet food that the cats can get, the better within an equivalent brand. If you can feed the wet food of of friskies versus the dry food, you're better off with the wet. Now, that's not to say that you're going to just, we're going to talk about wintertime and how food freezes. And like I say, you may be uh, feeding a lot of cats and just wet food all the time is just not going to be practical or affordable. So the moral of the story isn't feed them nothing but wet meat. The moral is make sure they get some, you know, and the more that you can get to them, the more nutrition they'll be getting. So how about that idea of value? We talked about this formula of the best quality you can comfortably afford. So these are some of the um, better value in the research that we've done and that other people who are more proficient at this have done, have recommended to us. And you could, like I say, download this handout and you'll have these brands. They're pretty much all of them are available online. And uh, the Kirkland Signature is actually the Costco store brand. So good reason to get a Costco card. So these are are all, you know, um, dry foods, but they combine they're relatively high nutrition. So they're, they're really good values when, when you look at them, how much they cost per pound, and you look at the ingredients in them. So if you're feeding lots of cats and you're feeding lots of dry food, you may be better off with one of these brands for the same price that you're paying now for like Deli Cat or something like that. Okay, so um, talked about uh, when to feed and what to feed. Let's talk a bit about uh, where to feed. And in general with community cats, our experience at Neighborhood Cats is that the less visible the cats are, the better, because it just attracts less attention. It makes it much less likely somebody's going to drop off a cat at your colony site if they're not seeing like, hey, this is a place where cats are fed. So again, within the realm of possibilities. So if you can feed in your backyard instead of in your front yard, that's going to be better. If you can feed behind a big pile of rocks, instead of next to a fence by the sidewalk, that's going to be better. So um, 
you also want to be having minimal impact um, on your the neighbors and on uh, people who are at work. Again, the idea is, you know, we, we don't want the cats to be a problem for anyone. It's also, you know, you want it to be safe and quiet for the cats. Think about your ability to access the spot. So um, are you going to be able to get there in the wintertime if it snows? Do you need a key and somebody to always let you in? Think about when you're choosing where to feed them yourself and your ability to get there. If you're in an area where there's any type of threatened wildlife, you know, endangered species of some sort, or it's called rare, threatened, or endangered, and in some uh, states they have a category called wildlife of special concern, try to feed the cats as far away from where the wildlife hangs out as possible. So if you're feeding in a park and the park has rare ground nesting birds, feed the cats at the other end of the park. Keep them as far away as possible. And that will definitely help with any type of predation issue. With the holidays right around the corner, curl up with a furry friend and a copy of the new book, How Snowballs Stole Christmas by Kristen McKenna. The adorably funny brand new novel featuring one very opinionated, very beautiful matchmaking cat named Snowball. The story is as cute as the cover. It's the perfect stocking stuffer clever scallywag of a cute-as-a-button cat residing in a small-town Victorian B&B and matchmaking on the down-low, bringing two hearts together, all wrapped up like a pretty Christmas bow on a creamy white cat named Snowball. There's no end to the way Snowball can drum up trouble to bring two people together who start out despising each other. This floof will stop at nothing to make the perfect holiday match for her resident humans, even if it means being a little more naughty than nice. Just in time for the holidays, How Snowball Stole Christmas from Kensington Books is available everywhere books are sold. It's a great read. Team Dubert is at it again, and now they have an amazing companion case management module that once again revolutionizes how you rescue animals. Dubert partnered with Dallas Pets Alive and the Spay Neuter Network to build a powerful solution that allows you to manage cases of any kind. Whether owner surrender calls or emails, community cat tracking and reporting, Dubert is the only system that integrates two-way text messaging, automatic follow-ups, and even a rehoming solution that every organization can use. No more trying to manage 10 different technologies when everything is all in one place and tightly integrated. From fostering to transport, fundraising to e-commerce, supply and demand to case management, Dubert has everything you need to streamline your operations so you can focus on saving more animals. Check out the new companion case management module at www.dubert.com CCM and get signed up today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. Avoid putting food directly on the ground or curb, uh, kind of for obvious reasons. As we said before, you don't want to be leaving food behind, and that can cause all sorts of problems with attracting wildlife and neighbor complaints. You want to use something you can pick up when the cats are done eating. So it could be um, plastic plates that you can wash and reuse, or even cardboard, plastic containers, anything that allows you to clean up afterwards. 
So why, why do I keep focusing on cleaning up? Because it's the number one complaint that people who are not taking care of community cats have against cat feeders is that they are leaving a mess behind. And um, for those of you who are very, um, you know, have been very diligent about keeping the site clean, you know, you're definitely bearing the brunt of unfair accusations. But you do sometimes see situations where people just leave the dishes behind and it's just a complete mess. You know, if you were living next to that, you probably wouldn't be too happy about it either. So if you can, if it's at all breezy where you are and things like that, you know, avoid using really lightweight paper plates that can just, that will just easily blow away before you can pick them up. Pick up all the trash in your colony area, your feeding area. Don't just say, I didn't leave that takeout dish here, so I'm not going to pick it up. That doesn't really help the cats. The cleaner, the better, and you, you know, you'll be known as a good neighbor. Also, don't leave bags of trash on site that have any food, any scent of food inside. So don't pick up all the paper plates, shove them in a trash bag, and then leave the trash bag on the side because you'll get it later. Wildlife will come along and rip it open. Rip plastic bags can be a threat to, to the wildlife. I think I mentioned feeding stations, but if not, they're a great idea if you can put them on your site. Here's an example of one you see that's made out of uh, plywood. And the reason they're great is because, again, they help with that idea of keeping the feeding less visible, with keeping everything neat, gives you a place to keep your dishes and other supplies instead of having to lug them around like, you know, gallons of water, things like that. It allows the cats to eat. If it is bad weather, they have a sheltered area where they can go. And as I mentioned before, don't make a feeding station with just like one little door because, you know, the big dominant tomcat is going to go in there and he's going to not let anybody else in. So you need a nice big wide opening or you need like two smaller doors on either end. Here are some ideas for feeding stations. If the last one was a plywood one that requires, you know, a minimal amount, of, uh, but some construction knowledge and tools, you can take a 30 gallon trash can and just put it on its side and maybe put a cinder block on either side of the trash can to keep it in place. It makes for a great feeding station. Get a very large storage bin. Again, get a box cutter. If you use a box cutter on this kind of hard plastic, what you're doing is you're tracing lines over and over. Don't try to take the box cutter and push it all the way through. Just trace the door and just keep going over it and over and over it, and eventually you'll slice your way through. You can get larger storage bins, smaller ones. If you are inclined to, I'd rather pay somebody else to build this for me, there's a great uh, company called Feral Via. And you can see they have a large version of a feeding station and a smaller one. And just go to their website, click on these links, and go ahead and order one. And I think you just need a screwdriver to put them together. For, for those of you who are looking to be really creative, you can create a feeding station out of fake rocks. So there are these things out there. For, they're, they're made for like covering uh, irrigation things or pipes or whatever it might be that's on the landscape that are not particularly attractive. So they get covered with these faux rocks. You can buy them. They're a little pricey if you buy them online. And you can cut you know, an opening for the cats to go in. In this case, you might have to keep the opening small since you're trying to be really discreet. But you can use a jigsaw to cut these without cracking the whole thing. But if you're um, inclined not to spend 150 bucks on a large face fake rock, go onto YouTube do a search for how to make, you know, a hollow faux rock cover and uh, just do it yourself. You know, you can kind of make it out of, I think, paper mache and then paint it in a way where it's waterproof. 
So a lot of great stuff out there about how to make these covers. Uh, gravity feeders and auto feeders in general, as I said, ideally you want to go with not leaving food out 24-7. But of course, that's not always possible, right? Like maybe you don't have somebody to back you up and you're going away for the weekend. Or maybe you can only get access to put food out uh, every few days. You can't get there on a daily basis. So you may be in a situation where you have to leave food out. And if that's the case, then these auto feeders and waterers can be great things because you, you know, you fill them up and they just, you know, spill out as the product in the bowl gets eaten or drank. If you're using the waterers, the auto waterers, just get the one gallon. Don't get the giant ones because it's going to be very hard for you to carry enough water to fill them up. And also you want to be changing the water as regularly as possible. And a gallon of water should be plenty. Otherwise, you know, the bowl starts to get uh, algae growing in it and kind of grotty and, you know, you don't want that. So just stick with one gallon or smaller for the water. And with the dry food, again, just only get as large as you need because the food is out in the elements. And, you, you know, there's no point in filling a 20-pound auto feeder and then having half of it go bad. If you only need a, a couple of pounds or a five-pound, then go ahead and do that. Do be aware that you could potentially be attracting wildlife rodents or, or other cats. So it's not recommended unless you really need to do it. And there are definitely times you need to do it. Okay, just a few feeding tips that we've picked up along the way that might be helpful for you. So what if you don't have a feeding station and it's raining? You can do the trick you see on the left there, which is that's a, you know, a typical restaurant takeout dish. If you fill it with a dry food or whatever kind of food, uh, usually dry food because you're going to need it to be around for a little bit, take the top of the takeout container, turn it upside down and put it on top of the takeout bowl. That will keep the rain out. And then when the rain is done and the cats show up, they can quite easily, they'll smell the food and they'll just push the cover off and have themselves a meal. Fiddle vaults are great things if you do want to store food on site. This will keep out any animals or wildlife. It'll probably stop them from even smelling it. These things are so well made, so they're real good. If you're feeding through a fence or other hard to get to spots, think about getting an arm extender. Those are the things you see in stores where people who work there are reaching up to the top shelves to get items. They cost me, I don't know, maybe 15 bucks at the most. And you, I, I had a feed through a fence for a while, and I would use one of these to just push the bowls as far away from the fence as I could so they were out of arm's reach of anybody walking by. Feeding in the wintertime is an important, it's important to take into account that the cats actually need more calories during the winter, not less. They, they are actually more active because they, they need to move around to keep warm. So they need a bit more food. The research shows they need about 15% more. So feed them a bit more during the cold season. And do avoid using metal bowls when you're in sub-freezing temperatures because it's actually, uh, unless these bowls are heated, but even then, I'd probably go with a plastic one because the cat's tongue, if it's cold enough and the cat's tongue touches something metal, it can get stuck. If that ever happens to you, the way you unstick the cat is you pour warm water over their tongue and it defrosts. But the best thing is just to avoid that happening by not using metal bowls in very cold temperatures. One other point on the feeding in the winter. So obviously you may need to use a lot more dry food because if it's really cold and you, know, you put wet food down and five minutes later it's frozen and they haven't eaten it, that's not going to do a lot of good. 
the way to get them wet food in the wintertime is if you've got that feeding pattern and they're all there eagerly waiting, you put down wet food, it'll probably be gone by the time it could freeze. But you may have to rely more on dry food. So that gets us into providing water in the wintertime to these guys. And healthy cats, they don't need a lot of water, but they definitely need some. So it's really important to keep it available as much as you can. And if you're relying primarily on dry food, it's even more important that the cats have access to water. So let's go over some of the tricks that are out there for keeping water available. So there are some products you can buy that are a big help with this. One of them is you see on the left there, it's called a solar sipper, and you can get it at that link you see there. It will use the sun to keep the water heated until you get to about 20 degrees. Once you get to 20 degrees or lower, it's not going to work. It's going gonna, it's gonna to freeze. But if you're you know, in a climate where it's often hovering around freezing, this bowl should work You know, if it's out getting some sunlight to keep the water from freezing. Another item that people have used is um, something called Snuggle Safe that you can buy online. And it's meant to warm up like a blanket for an indoor kitty and give them something warm to, to lie on. But you can put it in your microwave, heat it up, and then put it under the water bowl. And it will provide a heat source for at least a few hours and keep that water from freezing. If you're feeding, this is only for people obviously who can plug a electric device in, but you know maybe if you're feeding on your back porch or something like that, you could use an electric heated bowl which is, does just what it, what it says. And this is, this is one of the better ones, I highly rated ones, the farm innovators. Now, one of the tricks with, uh, you have to watch out for with heated water bowls is that uh, the water will evaporate because uh, you know, you got warm water in a cold environment and the colder it is and the warmer the water is, the faster it will evaporate. So you need a big bowl. You don't want one of these like two quart bowls because the water will evaporate too quickly. So We recommend something like this product, which has one and a half gallons, so the water will be around for quite a while before it kind of burns off. Now for do-it-yourself stuff, again, a lot of this is not about completely preventing the water from freezing. It's about slowing it down. It's about making sure water's available for at least a few hours around the time that the cats are eating so they get a shot at getting what they need. So just the type of bowl that you choose is going to have a big effect the deeper the bowl, the wider it is, and the thicker its sides, the slower the freezing process is going to be. Don't make the mistake of getting something that's kind of long and narrow, that, that seems very deep, but it has a small surface area because it's the surface area that's the primary factor in how quickly water will freeze. If there's only a little bit of surface area, that no matter how deep the water goes, the surface will freeze faster. So you want it to be wide and deep. And again, thick plastic is probably your best bet. You can also, this is one of the things I used to do when I fed community cats in the Northeast, was I would buy a styrofoam cooler. And it's hard to get them in the wintertime because they're really a summer product for you know people to take their beer and soda to the beach. So you might want to stock up on a couple of them in the summer. And then you just cut an opening on one of those short sides, you know, a little doorway, and then put your water bowl inside of this. So you get both the good bowl and you get the styrofoam that's keeping the heat in, you know, keeping the water warm. Again, not forever, but it will slow down the freezing process. Another really creative idea I've seen is are these small styrofoam boxes. 
they're often used to ship vaccines or other small products like that. Or you can even just buy the box online and you put a plastic bag, like you're putting a plastic bag in a waste basket or something like that. Just stick a plastic bag inside, put the top of the box back on. You fill the bag and the interior of the box with water and cut a little, you know, maybe two or maybe two, three inch at the most a circular hole in the top of this box. And then the styrofoam will keep the water insulated and the cats can drink through that uh, circular opening in the top. Keep in mind for wintertime feeding, cats need to get to the food. So uh, you may, after snowing, you know, you may need to clear a path for them. You want to avoid uh, things, commercial products like rock salt and chemical de-icers because they, they can be really toxic and, and irritating for the cats. So this is a solution that will melt the snow and the ice and is perfectly safe for them. It involves uh, Dawn dish detergent, some rubbing alcohol, and a half a gallon of warm water. So it's a pretty easy mixture to make and then just pour that on the ice to melt it away. So what about ants? Getting lots of ants in your food bowl? The, the trick here is that ants can't swim. So if you put the food bowl inside of a, a moat, if it's sitting in a thing of water, the ants will not be able to reach it. And this is an example of a kind of do-it-yourself one where we have the food bowl sitting on a cookie tray with like a quarter inch of water. So the cats can easily reach it and the insects can't. If you want to buy, you know, it's just one of these products that a lot of people have made versions of. And if you go to Amazon and you search for ant-proof food bowls, you'll get a few dozen choices if you just want to buy one or you can build your own. So what about flies? That's another common complaint. Flies are really difficult to completely uh, eliminate, but you can kind of reduce their presence. The thing to understand is they're most attracted to wet food on a hot day. So maybe avoid putting out canned food. If you're having a problem with flies, you know, at noon, try to feed the cats when it's a bit cooler out. Also, like the birds, the flies generally sleep at night. So if you can train the cats to eat at uh, sundown, at least during the summer, you'll be able to avoid the flies. And then they're less attracted to dry food than they are to wet food. Now, for the colony caretaker who has everything, this is another way you can go. It's a motion-activated feeding bowl. So when the cats come close, it opens up, and then when they go away, it shuts. So that's going to keep flies and any type of flying insect out of the food. Obviously, you know, you need a, your own backyard or something like that. But if you're really struggling with it, you might think about trying one of these. Hey, how about slugs? Another common complaint. They're pretty easy to deal with, actually. You're going to hear me mention this more than once. There's a product called Diotomaceous Earth. And I want to emphasize at the start, there's two kinds of Diotomaceous Earth on the market. One's called food grade, F-O-O-D, and one's called pool, P-O-O-L grade. You only want to use food grade because if the cat somehow ingest it, it will be perfectly fine. In fact, farmers use this stuff sometimes to rid their cows of parasites. They put it in the food. But if you get pool grade, that's a whole different product that can be toxic. And what it is, diatomaceous earth is actually these tiny little marine creatures called diatoms that have fossilized and are crushed. So it feels to the human hand like soft powder, but it's actually millions of tiny little sharp fragments. And so to a slug, they're going to feel the sharpness. And if you put 
a circle of diatomaceous earth around your food bowl. They will not cross that because it will hurt them. Also, you could do the same thing. You can crush eggshells or use chalk powder. It's the same idea. It's soft to your touch, but sharp to the bugs. You can use a sheet of sandpaper. Same idea. Put the food bowl on a sheet of sandpaper. Now, if you're using diatomaceous earth or any of these powdered products, you want to be very careful if you're using a lot of it and make sure you wear a dust mask because, as I say, it may feel soft, but it's actually very sharp. And if you inhale enough of it into your lungs, you can do a lot of damage. So be careful with the stuff. Don't just breathe in a whole cloud of it or something like that. Now, another thing you can do with slugs being you know, a friend to all animals, you can feed them too. I used to find that was the easiest way to keep them away was I would just put a few pieces of dry food out a few feet away from the bowls and the slugs would a lot easier to just get to the food that's on the ground than it is to kind of work your way up the food bowl. So they usually just went right to the food that was meant for them. There you have it. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats.